はい Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we chat with Murray McCormick of the Regina Leader Post about what's going on in Regina. COVID cases spreading through the Riders locker room. Duke Williams suspended. Discipline's an issue. Weird season for the Riders so far. We'll talk about that as well as what's going on with Matthew Kachuk in Calgary. He wants out. Where's he going to go? Why doesn't he want to stay? We'll talk about the uncertainty with Pat Steinberg of Sportsnet Radio in Calgary on the podcast. We'll head to Regina now to check in on a, a big news day in the capital of Saskatchewan when it comes to the Riders and a man who covers the Riders for the Regina Leader Post is Murray McCormick, who joins us now. Murray, welcome to the show. Hey, well, thanks for having me. A big news. It seems like it's been a big news week for the yeah. Riders and you think back to everything that's gone on with his team since the last couple of games. Well, let's start with uh, the immediate news, and that is whether or not there's going to be a game on Saturday, 10 players in COVID protocol now, six added to the list today. Is the feeling in Regina that Saturday's game against the Argos probably won't happen? I think that's probably a, uncertain is probably the best way to describe it. I think we all know who follow football. How are they going to get together and have, if they don't practice tomorrow, they, I don't think they can play a game if they don't practice tomorrow. If they somehow manage to get enough bodies on the field, they may get away with it, but, I'm right now. I, I'm thinking that there's unlikely it's going to be a game. I think it's going to have to be rescheduled or forfeited, or I don't know what's going to happen after that decision is made. But right now, I wouldn't say it looks very good. The news is about as bad as it could get today, with ten guys involved in COVID protocols, not including support staff. Like, I don't know about you, but I kind of thought COVID was over, and I know that sounds dumb almost, but we kind of thought it was over, and then. We hear this and go, holy crap, it's not over, folks. It's not like the writers, and I'm going to go on a little bit, have done everything they could to battle COVID. The media, we, the media, we have to be six feet. We have to be social distance. We have to wear a mask in any interaction with the players. The writers, other than the players, are living their own lifestyle. They did everything to keep COVID out of the locker room, but you still can't keep it out of the locker room. And this is what we end up with is the uncertainty Oh, you know, like last year, we only wanted it to be a season. Now we're wanting a third game. So it's just COVID's out there. How's that? I'm not sitting cut and obvious checking in here, but COVID's still a thing, folks. And it's, it's right here in Regina right now. Well, what we learned last year when the Elks went through their COVID outbreak early in the season was that the CFL was not going to forfeit their games. They moved around a bunch of yep. their schedule, and then they ended up playing three games in just a, a really historically small amount of time late in the season uh, it's too early to say what could happen in terms of rescheduling here but the Argos did nothing wrong they don't have any positive tests after Saturday's game so for them to be jostled around too you know I could see why some would want the game to just be forfeited and moved on but I think from a CFL fan perspective you want to see every game played yeah. also it's a big hit for the riders you're talking okay we just talk on points in the standings that's fine how about there's supposed to be 28 or 30 to 33,000 people in the stadium on Saturday night? That's a big hit to the pocketbook, to the to the riders' bottom line budget. They need that money. So forfeiting a game isn't just a matter of giving up the two points. It's, you know, there's people who work at the rider games and all these things. It's a big, it's a financial driver. So I think a forfeiture is really something they would do at the very, 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 you know, extreme. I think most of the time it's likely going to be rescheduled. I think, uh, Derek Taylor posted something on Twitter today. There's an opening a little up ahead that, that might work, but 
as my wife said to me, why would the Argos agree to anything? They not they haven't done anything wrong. Play you know, is the Riders fault they're sick? They may as well pick up their two points because we know the two points in the East aren't that easy against the West. Maybe they get them the easy way. So I think there's just, uh, you know, forfeiture may lean into the Argos, but man, they're just, and I, I'm not defending any of the other antics and things that have gone on with the Riders lately, but you just wonder what else can go wrong with them from everything from the last year, you know, from last year when they had the four Achilles tears to, to lose to the Bombers, everything in the Great Cup and or the West Sent final. You just wonder if they can run out of bad things that can happen to one team. So um, let's talk about the shenanigans now with what happened before the touchdown Atlantic game. Duke Williams throws a helmet at Shaq Richardson. Some thought he probably shouldn't have been in that football game. And it seems like the CFL kind of agrees because he got suspended today for one game. Shaq Richardson fined uh, as well. Um, an amount that we don't know, but it's the maximum amount, whatever that number is. Half a game check. Half a game check. Half whatever he gets for a game check. Okay. Okay. There you go. So, uh, but but Duke Williams loses a game, and so that's the, that's the bigger number. Uh, what what do you think got into him? I mean, we haven't got to. You haven't been able to talk to him, have you? No, we couldn't talk to either of them after the game, which is a whole other rant I can get on to about that kind of stuff. But from what the riders were able to discern, Shaq Richardson crossed over the center field line to somehow initiate the dispute with Duke. Now I'm not quite sure what kind of history they have, but if you watch on the replay, when Duke throws the helmet at Richardson, Duke's on the, looks like he's on the rider's 50 yard line and Richardson's inside the half field. So Richardson is over on the rider's half of the field. So is that, that's not allowed. I guess it's illegal. You're not supposed to cross center field when you're warming up with some teams do it to just annoy people. So maybe in that factor, that's why they, but Duke is 100% deserving of a suspension. That is, you can't throw a helmet at someone. If he had not hit Richardson, he probably would hit Ryan Dinwiddie, who's the coach of the Argos, who was trying to break things up. So Duke is entirely in the wrong. Because you and I, Chris, we've been around sports long enough. Who always gets caught? It's the retaliator. It's never the guy who does it first. You know that. It's always the guy who gets caught second. So that's kind of life. And, he, he went, and I think I'm assuming... Regardless, whatever, Duke is not going to appeal us. He's just going to take the penalty, take his, his lumps and move on. Richardson getting a half a game check. If the Ryder's story is right, then that should have been a heavier fine or a suspension. But if, you know, maybe that's how they deal with it. You know, you, know, you might, we might be on the CFL sometimes. We, we can't figure out how the suspension, where it's a suspension and a fine. It's never really anything that consistent. So if they determine that, uh, Shaq had crossed over the line. Maybe that's the fine. Plus, there are other shenanigans. And I, I want to apologize because I'm coming off a cold. So if you hear my my voice every now and again, <laughs> but I'm I'm not positive. I tested negative for COVID. Okay. So <laughs> that's good. good. Yeah. Well, you sound good. You sound good to me, Marie. Now, on the topic okay. of access, obviously it's important to, to us as people that cover sports to have access. Should the Argos and Riders made those players available? Oh yeah. I think I, we, the whole story is not being told. Like, what happened? And I'm trying to think of in other sports if they would do that. Like, I also understand that Shaq is a pretty hot-headed guy, and so is Duke. And then we're probably going to get some pretty good stuff out of that. But I think part of the reason, part of my job is to ask for them, and part of their job is to make them available. They decided not to make them available. And in hindsight, maybe it's, it's not a bad thing you don't have that kind of stuff happen. But I think 
people expect it now. We expect to hear people responding and things like that. And maybe because they're up on a podium, it's a little more difficult to do. But I think they should have been made available. And we won't get them now. Well, depending, because we, I don't know when we're going to get access to players again. They may be headed back into the Zoom world in Saskatchewan, which I really don't like the thought of that because we're just kind of opening up the doors to getting back to normal life, albeit with masks and social distancing. But I don't, uh, you know, access has really been a big battle in our lives in the CFL, and that kind of was annoying that we didn't get to touch them. And now we get this Garrett Marino to go back to Garrett Marino saying when he put out his statement, saying that's all he's going to talk about it. Well, sorry, buddy, it's not going to work that way. When you come back from the suspension, you're on the field, you're going to have to talk about it. just say no comment. But, you know, the Garrett Marino stuff followed by Duke kind of throws up some red flags here about but the dis- discipline and the fact that the Argo Riders are leading the league in penalties and yards. And maybe there's, they've got to do some way to get this under control. That's maybe, maybe it's all tied into that big picture, or maybe it's just one little thing that happened here and, happens in the flow of a season and we just move on hopefully with a game on Saturday but I don't know looks iffy well Kahari Jones was fired in part because of you know perceived discipline issues for the Alouettes and they go out and take 13 penalties for 156 yards with Danny Machocha on the sideline I'm not saying Craig Dickinson's the reason that there's discipline issues with the riders but is there a is there a sense in Regina that Something's gone a little sour right now? Well, I think there's a little one, but then you look back and you see they're four and two, and they're still doing okay. You know, they're still not out of the playoff line. It's not the end of the season by any stretch. I think there's a lot of concern about the penalties, and I really think that's a big part of it. Excuse me for a sec. There's a big concern about that, and it's a discipline penalties, too. It's like offsides. You can make a stand offsides in the legal procedure. It's one's the that happens for uh, roughing the passer and unnecessary roughness and those things that you really kind of wonder why aren't they clamping down and why isn't there some way of penalizing a guy for being penalized for that? But Craig talks to all the guys and he's, he's a good coach and he won't, he won't put a guy in a position where he's going to embarrass him for something like that or bench him. That'd be the very last thing, but he talks to them every game. So they still get lots of penalties. So I don't quite know what can go on about that one. Now, what about the health of Cody Fajardo? Because uh, he has not been playing healthy. And we know that without a healthy quarterback, without a good quarterback in the CFL, whatever football league you're playing in, you're not going to win a ton of football games. And it's clear that he has not been 100%. Does he need a couple weeks to, to get right? He probably needs them. Can they afford to give them to him? As long as he can keep playing without damaging it any further, I guess it's, you know, it's one of those chances you take. But... I'd say if it is a game Saturday, he's still 50-50 in my mind. Like, I've never met – he hasn't gone as far as to tell us what's wrong with his knee, but he's just about told us every other part of his, his life with that sore knee and, what they, and how he feels people being targeted. And I, I think they need to rest him, but it's, he's going to put up a fight because as long as he can still play, he's going to keep trying to stay out there. And I think that's a big battle. As I know the coach is going to tell him, but I think if enough people watch that game – you saw how badly he limped after that shot, after that hit by uh, Sean Open, and it was a low hit. That was I've watched it many, many times. That was a low hit, and he should have been further penalized. He should have been penalized for that, but that didn't happen. But Cody's a tough, tough guy, and he thinks he can play through it. And we watched many quarterbacks, but a knee is a pretty important appendage on a football on a quarterback. 
especially that left one. And I, I, I just don't see him being able to fight through another another game or two. Same token, though, I don't know what Mason Fine has. I don't know what they have in the background as a backup to bring him in. Mason Fine's played a little bit, not a lot. That's putting a lot of pressure on him, especially when uh, way the things are now. But the advantages are the Riders play two games in a bye week, so they could give Cody three weeks off to get this recovered. So maybe that's a way they go. But he's he's their best they've got right now, limping or not limping, and that's that's the tough part. Makes a decision is how do you bench your best player who's shown the uh, the toughness to get through games, but we also saw the interceptions he threw, and I think were a bit of a result of that uh, sore knee, and he doesn't run as much, so he's taken that part of his game. I'm not really coming to the definitive answer, am I? That's for you. okay. <laughs> That's okay. No, I mean, it's a, maybe not having a game this weekend would be good for him because that means yeah. he can he they'll have BC next week and then a bye and kind of have two buys over to three weeks later in the season. You'd pay for it, but perhaps that's what he needs right now, especially if he is indeed 50, 50. Yeah. And he said, and I talked to him after the touchdown Atlantic, when we talked to him a couple of times, he said, he doesn't know. He doesn't know if he can play next week. He doesn't know if it's going to impact his career. And he would normally say, Oh yeah, it's fine. And when, when it's all started, he was a lot more positive. I also think he's getting pretty beat up behind what is a pretty bad offensive line for the most part, like just not very consistent. And every team's just sort of blasting by them. They've given up 24 sacks, and of those 24 sacks, I think 23 of them are on Cody. So the offensive line has got to pick up its game. And the same thing as last year, it never did quite pick up its game last year, and Cody still took a beating. So how much more of a beating can you take behind that offensive line? I don't know who you can put back there that is going to be much more effective than Cody. But it'd be nice if Cody could run. He also did – actually, when I was watching the, you watching the game the other night when the uh, – when Winton McKinnis scored that touchdown, Cody put on a pretty good sprint to get down and to cut him off at the corner, but he wasn't fast enough to catch him. So he did run without a limp on that interception for the touchdown, but afterwards he was limping pretty badly. I'll get you out of here on this. I saw you posting pictures on Twitter of the, the food options you had out east. What was the overall experience of Touchdown Atlantic like? It was, it was, it was great. It was, the game day was absolutely amazing. Just absolutely amazing. It's like taking everybody from the rum hut and putting them down in Wolfville and dressing them in green. They were just in the mood to party, in the mood to have fun. It was a beautiful day. It was absolutely perfect. In Halifax, a little bit overlooked because there was other things going on. There was a Pride Festival. There was a Jazz Festival. and So it was a little, but once you got to Wolfville, it was a great thing and great food. And I love chowder, so I have to take a drink here. I love chowder too. Nothing wrong with that. And seafood chowder is so good because mm-hmm. I just love seafood. And lobster is a great meal, but it's a lot of work for a little bit of meat. So I'm not as big of a lobster guy as it used to be, but it was a good. Good experience overall. Well, Murray, appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for this. And uh, hopefully there's better news coming out of Regina soon. Yeah, me too. I hope we get rid of this cough too. Sorry, I apologize, folks. I'm trying to fight it back. The Calgary Flames went into this past season with expectations and they win the Pacific Division. There was the question after the season, of course, about, well, what's going to happen for Johnny Gaudreau? Matthew Kachuk, a restricted free agent. Johnny Gaudreau leaves in free agency, goes to Columbus, which not a lot of people saw coming. And now Matthew Kachuk is reportedly going to be looking for a new home as well. 
reported by Eric Francis and Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. Uh, multiple reports going out that Matthew Kachuk has told the team he's not coming back. He Well, he's not going to re-sign. The team has his rights this year as a UFA after this upcoming season, but told the Flames he will not re-sign long-term and a trade is likely. Kachuk and Gaudreau combined to score 28% of the Flames' goals last season. 82 of 291. He is a very, very well-rounded player, offense, defense. He's a great player at age 24, 6'2", 200 pounds. Who wouldn't want him? Now, not everybody's going to be available to get him because if the Flames are to trade him, they're going to trade him to a team that can afford him and a long-term extension. But it's truly remarkable how quickly we've gotten to this point. To talk about this, we're joined by Pat Steinberg of Sportsnet Radio in Calgary. Pat, did you see all this coming? Well, I mean, I think we knew that there were going to be some big question marks this off season. And I think that we knew that there was a possibility that there was going to be some change, but for it to go from where it was uh, with them winning game seven over Dallas and even losing game five to Edmonton in overtime and losing that series to where we are today. No, I don't know if anybody really saw it coming quite like this. Um, it's, it's a, uh, it's been a weird situation. Like I, I, I can I can tell you that the the Johnny Gaudreau stuff and Matthew Kachuk stuff have been very separate, but also they've been related in that Johnny Gaudreau kind of he kind of determined all of what was going to happen this off season. His decision was going to be the precursor a lot of what happened. And had Johnny decided to stay. And it was very close to happening, and and they were very close to agreeing on something just over a week ago. Um, Had Johnny Gaudreau decided to stay, I think there's a pretty decent chance that we're talking about Matthew Kachuk being a whole lot more open to staying. But um, with with Johnny's decision to sign a seven years in Columbus, I, I think that open the door for Matthew wanting to leave as well or not want to commit long-term. And, and um, I was able to confirm on Monday night um, that Matthew had told the team that he is uh, not returning or he's not going to sign long-term and he'll play out the rest of his contract if need be. But uh, that was, that was on Monday night. And I, I also know that they had been talking to teams loosely uh, over the draft week in Montreal a few weeks ago. That was the first time that I really had gotten wind that there's something going on and that there, the very least is the opportunity for them to look at options when it comes to Matthew. Obviously something didn't get done. I believe New Jersey was very interested. I believe the number two overall pick was potentially in play uh, when when that first happened, going back to the draft. Doesn't happen. Okay, here we are. Um, arbitration deadline hits. Matthew decides not to file for arbitration on Sunday, which makes sense. And then he tells the team that he's not coming back or that he's not going to sign long-term. The team makes the decision on Monday to go to team-elected salary arbitration, which means there's no longer a deadline of this Friday for him to accept his qualifying offer and essentially walk himself to unrestricted free agency. It buys the team a little bit of time. 
And here they are uh, now looking for a trade to, to move Matthew Kachuk elsewhere. So I, I don't know if I saw Tuesday night of last week, Johnny Gaudreau telling them that he's going to leave. And a week later, like less than a week later, we're talking about Matthew Kachuk also telling him that he's likely going to leave. I don't know if I saw it happening quite like that. And yet here we are. That's almost certainly 219 points going to be subtracted from a Pacific division winning squad last year. One guy walks for nothing. And the other guy, we'll see what type of trade the Flames are able to facilitate here. Is there anything Brad Living could have done differently? Um, well, I, I guess so, yes. But not, not recently. Um, I think that you could... I think there's a conversation to be had when it comes to Gaudreau about the opportunity to sign him a year ago. And, and I... I do know, and he confirmed this in his Players' Tribune article, he confirmed this earlier in the year during the playoffs. And, you know, I've been talking for a year out here about how they were close last fall. And, and I want to say sometime early in September, um, I, I, had gotten, I had gotten the tip off that, hey, watch out, like this thing is close, and we might be talking about an eight-year extension for Johnny Gaudreau prior to the season. For whatever reason, it didn't get done. And I don't know why. I don't know if the Flames came in too low. I don't know if Johnny's camp thought it was too low. I don't know if Calvary walked away. I don't know if Johnny's camp walked away. I don't know what happened. All I know is that they were on the verge of signing in September 2021. They didn't. And he went into the season unrestricted for, pending unrestricted free agent. He put up 115 points, arguably the greatest offensive season in the 50-year history of the franchise, and put himself in a ridiculously good spot going into unrestricted free agency. So I, I guess you could say, you know, without knowing all the details, and that's why I say there's maybe a conversation to be had, but we don't know, you know, what exactly transpired. I, I guess you could say they could have signed them last off season and that would have put them in a better spot and wouldn't have put them in this position. And as for the Kachuk situation, the only thing they could have done different is not have his last contract structured the way it was where he got a three-year deal in the fall of 2019, just as training camp was wrapping up. I believe he got one preseason game in that year. And they gave him a three-year deal at $7 million. But the way Craig Oster, the agent, structured it and, and the Flames agreed to it was there's a $9 million qualifying offer at the end. And that term, with that high qualifying offer, walked him to unrestricted free agency if he took it, hence the situation that we're in right now. And so... I, I, I guess there there could have been a different structured deal or a different looking deal when they signed Matthew's last contract. But at the time, if you remember, that was 2019. The Flames were coming off winning the Western Conference in the regular season the year before. And they were looking to build on that despite the loss to Colorado in round number one. They get Kachuk signed. And you're like, okay. This window, Mark Giordano was still here. Mark, Johnny Gaudreau was still signed. Sean Monaghan was still a, a factor. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, this is a year that maybe they can build on things. And you, you maybe aren't in a position cap-wise to go long-term with Matthew. So you give him a three times seven. But I, I guess those are the only two things that he could have done differently. But I don't know. Like in, in these negotiations, Christian, wh what else are you going to do? They gave him – they gave Johnny – the, the largest contract offer anybody did. Eight times ten and a half. I, I can tell you they were willing to go to eight by 11. They doubled back the next day. Once the year was off the table, they still offered him seven by 11. So they, they, they gave him the most lucrative deal on the market 
for Johnny Gaudreau, and and he he didn't stay. They they did everything they could on the Johnny Gaudreau front. And with Matthew, I don't know what the contract looks like that they've offered him, but they've offered him a long-term lucrative deal that I would imagine would be in the same ballpark as what they put on the table for Johnny. And Matthew's told them that he doesn't want to sign long-term either. And, and you know, I think listeners in, in your city would empathize that there is a, it's a tough, it's tough being a small market team in the NHL. It's tough being a Canadian team in the NHL to mix those two together. And here we are. And, and you've got a couple of superstar players who are likely not coming. One of them's gone, and the other one's likely not coming back. It's, it's, a, it's a tough spot, but I, I don't know how much more Brad True Living could have done, especially in the last month or two when it came to these two negotiations in a bubble. Well, there's no way you would trade them before thinking, oh, we got to, like the Jets with Andrew Kopp saying, hey, we, we know he's probably going to walk, so let's just get something for him. The Flames were a Pacific Division champion and just kind of it didn't go well for them against Edmonton, but they were a really solid team in the West this season. So looking ahead now, obviously they're going to get players back for Matthew Kachuk if they swing a trade, probably some future stuff too. But are the Flames all of a sudden rebuilding, retooling? What does this upcoming season look like for Calgary now? Well, that, that is the trillion-dollar question now because you've got a coach in Daryl Sutter who has been very clear that he came in and his only goal was to win a Stanley Cup. And uh, I, I don't think there's any doubt the Flames will be taking a step back this year. The only question is how much of a step back are they going to be taking? Um, and it depends. I guess we'll know that answer when we see what type of trade they pull off with Matthew Kachuk. And I, you know, am I as convinced as, as my colleague Eric Francis is? And I'm not, I'm not trying to say he's wrong, but I'm not as maybe convinced that it's going to be by the end of the week that a deal gets made, but maybe it does. But I do think between now and whenever the arbitration date is, which we won't know about for a few more days, but whenever his team-elected salary arbitration date is between now and then, I believe Matthew will be dealt uh, and, and, and we'll get our answer. If, I guess there's kind of the, the two different paths. For me, what I believe should happen is I think they need to retool a little bit. I think they need to take a step back. I think they need to look at their group and say, okay, are, do we have a chance of, of being able to win a Stanley Cup with this group anymore? We just lost 219 points in the snap of a finger. Are we going to be able to be anywhere near as good? Are we going to be able to be a team that can compete with the good teams in the Western Conference? Like, uh, can they knock off Colorado? Can they knock off St. Louis? Can they knock off Vegas? Can they knock off the teams that you look at and say, okay, these are the groups that are going to be the powerhouses, Edmonton, for the next four or five years in the Western Conference? And if the answer is no, well, then going and signing Nazem Kadri or going and signing John Klingberg doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And, and you know, trying to get back players that are going to help you now, and, and that's the only thing that you're after in a Matthew Kachuk trade doesn't make sense. So I, And my belief is they're not going to be a team that can compete with those high-end groups. So I believe that making a trade for a little bit more of a future-oriented um, package in whoever they deal Matthew Kachuk to makes sense. You've got some other really interesting trade chips that you can explore between now and and the trade deadline, I look at Jacob Markstrom, I look at Michael Backlund, I look at Elias Lindholm, I look at Chris Tanev. Like, there's some really interesting names that the Flames could put on the block and, and could facilitate a pretty quick turnaround, like two or three, three or four years where, 
okay, yeah, they have to take a step back. And, and yeah, it's not going to be anywhere near as fun as this past season was, but you're building towards something. My fear is, or, or my, uh, my suspicion is, that they're going to try to stay competitive because that's been the MO of this franchise for the last 20 or 30 years. They, they've tried to stay relevant. They've tried to stay competitive. They've tried, they've tried to stay around the playoff mix so that they can kind of sell to their fans that, hey, there's a reason to come to the rink and there's a reason to buy tickets, so on and so forth. So, you know, my gut says the latter. I believe they should go with the former. And I guess we'll find out a lot of what type of direction they're going to go whenever they swing this uh, Matthew Kachuk trade. Well, Kachuk, Mangiapane, and Shillington are all RFAs right now. The reality is Rasmus Anderson, Jacob Markstrom, and Blake Coleman are the only NHLers that they have signed past 2024. And so that's that's three guys (laughs) past the next two seasons. And so there is an opportunity here to really kind of reshape what the the direction of this team could be. And they only have a handful of, they need more forwards on the roster. According to cap friendly right now, they have eight. And of course there could be some, some minor league guys that come up, but there's, there's certainly a lot of uncertainty right now for the flames. Yeah. And I mean, you know, they've been, they I, like, I know that they're interested in Nazem Kadri, but, you know, Nazem Kadri's camp, I believe, has told them that they're an unlikely destination. Now, that can always change, but, you know, I, I don't know if going out and getting Kadri is, is the move to make at this point because you're, you're likely going to be giving him a – well, first of all, you're probably going to be overpaying because that's what happens not only in free agency, but that's what happens when you're a small market Canadian team in free agency to land a name like that, you're usually going to have to go an extra year and probably going to add some extra AAV on top of it. So I don't know if Kadri makes a ton of sense anymore. If they're keeping Kachuk, different story. Um, I don't know if John Klingberg makes a ton of sense, a 29, 30-year-old defenseman. Like, that, that's not the type of deal or player that they should be chasing right now. So they're, they're, I, I do think they'll get Manjapani signed. I'm not really worried about that. Um, I, I think Shillington's an interesting one, and I think he was a guy that you could have made a really interesting argument about trading had they been able to retain both Gaudreau and Kachuk. But now that those guys are walking, you're going to have a significant amount of, of salary cap flexibility. So I think that Shillington, that'll get done. I, I don't really anticipate either guy getting to arbitration. They both filed, but yeah, they're going to have to go. Now you go out you make a deal and, and you get a couple of players back in a Kachuk trade. Maybe it starts to, to fill things out. They've got a couple of, younger players they'd like to take the next step and be NHLers next year or at the very least compete for NHL time but yeah they're gonna have to whether it's a guy like Stastny whether it's a guy like you know Nita Ryder like they're gonna have to backfill somehow because right now they, they don't have uh don't have a team that you could say yes there's a full roster for the start of the season in October now they got lots of time free agency has kind of slowed down there's still plenty of quality NHLers out there that teams can go get. But, yeah, they, they've, they've got work to do. But right now, much like the Johnny Gaudreau thing held them up for as long as it did, now they've got to figure out what they're going to do with Matthew Kachuk, what they're going to get back from Matthew Kachuk. And once they do that, then they can get to filling out the rest of the roster. But this Matthew Kachuk situation is kind of going to hold them up for a little bit, again, because it is such an important deal that you have got to make sure that you get right. Uncertain times in Calgary, uncertain times in Winnipeg. 
It's going to be very interesting next few weeks, isn't it? Pat Steinberg, appreciate your time. Thanks for this, and uh, best of luck with everything this offseason. It should be fun. It'll be something. Thanks, Tristan. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m., of course. That is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage anyway. Thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell, until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that they should come to this movie.